The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks for salad. You know, you're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome back to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Mike Stevens, a Sports Illustrated in the Hockey News. And sitting across from me is not the future first female GM in angel history, Rachel Dory. She's working for the Vancouver Canucks right now. Um, but it's actually former professional goaltender extraordinaire, daily face-off writer, just a guy with a ton of jerseys, ton of masks. I can see them all around him. Mike McKenna. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm coming to you live from my uh, guest room closet, which happens to be my memorabilia room in my house. And Thankfully, my wife was nice enough to allow it all to go in a very hidden spot, and that's where I wanted it to be. So I don't want my whole house to be a tribute to myself, especially when you have kids, man. You try to kind of hide that stuff. So (laughs) I'm doing good, man. I live in St. Louis, so it's it's nice out. It's like 50 degrees here and you know, in the U.S. So if we get Canadian listeners, minus 30 divided by 10 Celsius. So yeah, man, life's good. Crazy things happened in the hockey world recently, so I've been plenty busy. No kidding, man. We were like, I, I had to, you know, send you this Zoom like five minutes late because Dave Tippett decided to get fired in the NHL and all this stuff is, is going crazy. Uh, but let me just say, before we even get started, uh, flat, I'm going to flash this back to 2018 real quick because here I am. I'm still in school at the time. This is the first time I'd ever covered like a professional beat and I'm covering the Marley's beat. And what happens? They make it all the way to the Calder Cup final. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, this they're a very good team. This is going to be great, and they fa- they're facing the Texas Stars exactly as you at, with the with the jersey in in uh, right behind, and so they're at home, you know, and and I go, all right, going into Game Six, they, I think they've got this in the bag. And what do you know? One Mike McKenna puts on one of the greatest goaltending performances I have ever seen, and I'm not just saying that because you're you're on our, on my podcast now, Mike. I'm saying that because it was it was absurd. I, I knew I had to to bring it here, and. There's times in your career where you know as a goal you're carrying the mail. Yeah. And a lot of your team's success really has been dependent on you. But our team in Texas just found ways to win. Like we would just, man, we'd just score at the right time or when we had to do it, when the chips were down in OT, whatever. Like we did it. And I felt like it was just because we were so close as a team. We were we were just great friends. We had so much fun and we just wanted to make it to the next round so we could have another barbecue and play volleyball. Cause I was hosting barbecues in Texas after every round. Yeah. And we get to, to get to the Marlies and like that whole series really, like I remember I had one game where I got pulled in Texas It may have even been game five, but what people didn't know about that series was game three in Texas. I pulled my groin skating off for the extra attacker, like really bad. We're talking like it was, I'll never forget one, two, my third stride, my right leg groin just ripped. And when this is not good. And I remember playing game four with it. And I think we won game four. We did. We won game four yeah. and it felt like I was being stabbed in the inner inner thigh every time I dropped through the first period or so until adrenaline kind of kicks in. So I played the rest of that series with a pulled groin, like really hurt, like not joking around, really hurt and taped up, stretched out all that. Um, and yeah, game six was just game six, probably maybe one of the best games I ever played in my life. If it wasn't, it's top three. It's one of the best goalie performance I've ever seen live. Yeah. And I mean, I think we were outshot like 20 to four in the first period, mm-hmm. but I, but I just, I knew if I could get us through the first period of those games that we had a chance. Cause that's how we were, man. We just, we'd hang in there. We never gave up and I did. And we pulled off six and I just kept thinking like, man, this is it game seven. Like this could really happen. And for me, like I'm at the end of my career, I'm like, I think I'm going to play one year pro. One more year pro is what my plan was after that. I didn't plan on retiring, but if I'd have won the cup there, it would have been kind of, yeah, would have given me some reservations just to, to go out as a, a, a winner. But um, that Marley's team was stacked. I mean, they're, oh, yeah, just from the, tr- from not just the prospects that they had, Johan from Johnson and, and Dermot, and, and you can name more. I mean, Mason Marchment was on that team. He's yeah. ripping it in Florida right now, and he was like fourth line for that club. 
Trevor um, Moore, you know, yeah, Adam and you mean even like Colin Greening and Chris yeah, Mueller, players. guys like that. Yeah, that's what yeah. I want to ask because it was like a sort of David and Goliath kind of thing because the Marlies, like in the AHL, like they threw money around. They would sign guys. Like, oh, dude. Like yeah, set to 750 mega. grand or something, you know, NHL money at the AHL level for veterans. And, yeah. you know, and, and it was, and on top of that, they got Dermot and Janssen back from, you know, blowing yet another game seven against Boston. So at least they were able to, to bring those guys back. Well, and, and Janssen was unbelievable. Oh, he, like, he won the, the MVP. Yeah. He was incredible. And it's, it was really hard because it was the second year in a row I lost in the finals. You know, I lost in game six the year before and then game six, or game seven game against seven. the Marlies. But what's funny about it is the year before with Syracuse, like we had expectations and Grand Rapids beat us. And it was such a close series. Like it was amazing hockey and we lost in game six. And that series was like one bounce away. Like if we would have scored an OT, I think in like game three, we'd have won that Calder Cup. I really believe it. Whereas the Marlies won, it was always David Goliath. Like he was like, yeah. can I get us another one? Can I steal us another? Can we do this? And even in losing, man, it just it felt like that was the pinnacle of my career. And I really think it was in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. it's the best hockey I played. It's the most fun I had. It was the most meaningful hockey. I mean, everybody, in, everybody in hockey was watching. We were the yeah. last game on earth, you know, like it was June 14th. Yeah. Like there was no other hockey already been hand out. Yeah. We're on like NHL network, everything. And it's just, it was really rewarding to be able to perform on the big stage like that. Um, I was shocked when it didn't get me a better contract the next season. <laughs> I had one offer and it was from Ottawa and it wasn't great money and not where I wanted to go. Ottawa was probably 31 out of 31 teams I wanted to sign with, but I wanted my youngest daughter to remember me as a hockey player. So I was like, I'm going to play one more year. Here we go. <laughs> That's awesome. Why, why just, I, I guess as a performer pro and a guy who, you know, is going around, you know, looking for, looking for the right fit. Like why would Ottawa be 31 out of 31? This is the ownership situation, the ring, everything you know. bad had happened that previous summer. I mean, from oh, the, Car- yeah. the Carlson slash Hoffman feud, which mm-hmm. no one seems to know the real story and people have been blamed there that shouldn't have been. And then, yeah. you know, like I can't even remember every bad thing that had happened that summer to Ottawa. It was also like the Duchesne trade that just happened, right? That completely tanked uh, the, the team, I think, wasn't it? He had, he'd gotten in the year before. There just, there was a oh, lot yeah. going it was on a lot, there, man. You know, and I just was wary of it because I'd already been burned once by Ottawa. I'd been in their organization Mm -hmm. once before and some things went down that year that I really didn't like. And I was like, man, I don't know if I trust this. And, you know, I had Pierre Dorian calling me in the leading up to free agency when other teams are calling John Tavares and I'm thinking, okay, well, things must be good here. So anyway, that's, that's just the reason why, I mean, it ultimately I got another NHL contract. You can never complain about that, but yeah, that was probably like, last on my list, <laughs> but yeah. you know, you take what you get and end up playing for five teams that year. Maybe I shouldn't have been very surprised. Yeah. So I was going to, I was going to bring that up because I remember that, like, I obviously, you know, just like you, you, you obviously stood out to me after that series. I mean, I was like 20 at the time and I was like, Holy smokes, this is a, this is some crazy hockey and I'm around all these cool people. And this is, you know, it's amazing. And then, yeah. So you, you sign with Ottawa the next year. Um, you play some games in Belleville, who I think was, you know, at that point, maybe their second, their second, you know, year back in existence with the new facility and all that. So that was good. Can you take me through playing for, and especially I want to focus on the Vancouver stop, which mm-hmm. is one of the most, <laughs> which is just, you know, the picture of you in full sense gear in a, in a, in a Vancouver Jersey is, is pretty nuts, but yeah, take me through that that period, the five team, the five teams in one year with a young family, you know, with all that, like it, because that's something that I think a lot of people don't take into account. And remember that picture that you, you posted on, on, on Twitter of, you know, you're you, like you hugging your daughter and she's crying. Yeah. Like, this is the side that a lot of people don't see. So yeah, g- give us, give us sort of a behind the scenes look at that because that's just nuts. Well, if you want the, if you want to see the craziness to where fans are at times and where their heads are, some of the f- responses to that picture related to a BMW that was behind me that wasn't even mine and how obviously I'm so rich that I shouldn't be affected by this at all. And I can't, if, if that's your response, if that's somebody's response is that, oh, he's got a ton of money. It doesn't matter. He'll be fine. You need to take a look in the mirror and realize where your priorities are in life, or you haven't experienced much in life anyway. And that's not worth my time for responding to, you know, I had two girls that were crying their eyes out because I hadn't seen them in two months. Yeah. You know, and they just, I'll give you the full setup on. I mean, I already told you that Otto was chasing me in the summer to mentor mm-hmm. their goalies, go to Belleville, you know, and 
we need you for that. You're going to get any call up uh, if we, if there are any, and when they tell you that I'm not dumb, it's my 14th year pro and I'm 35 years old. And I sat on the exec board committee for the American league for a decade. Like you weren't going to find anybody in hockey that really understood the landscape better than me. And at the minor league level, you can look at the jerseys around me and my track record. And that's just the way it is. And I don't think they, maybe they didn't understand that. I don't know, but I, I thought, what this means is if there's injuries, I'll get called up. I might be there a little bit, but I can tell this team wants me in the minors. And if something really was needed up top, they'd probably get somebody. Okay. Like that's reading between the lines as a goaltender. Cause I knew at that stage, I wasn't considered an NHL goalie. I was a, I was a, a number three that could give you a couple minutes if he needed it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was known as. Did I like that? God, no, I wanted <laughs> to be there full time. Right. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. So I show up in Belleville and it's like, man, we were actually really happy as a family to start this thing. Uh, but even before that happened, Carlson gets traded in training camp while I'm there. That was totally weird. And then uh, Pajot blows out his Achilles in the craziest testing I've ever seen. That got next right away. Like it was just a black cloud over that place. Like even the gifts in training camp, like the player yeah. swag bags for a golf tournament were like senators branded cologne and an oven mat and a bottle of booze. Like it was crazy. For real? Oh, I swear. It was like a bottle of like apple Jim Bean. That so, was the, uh, that was the, we're a team year, right? Where Dorian was like, so tell me something like hype up your team. And he's like, uh, we're a team. We're a team. Yeah, yeah I think, okay. I think so. That was, and leading into it, that's when uh, Borietsky did the sit down interview with oh, Melnick Jesus and Christ. Melnick was wearing the 10 year old replica Jersey yep. and, and Boro had just been pulled in like off the street, wearing a t-shirt with no teeth, like <laughs> all kinds of weird. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I show up in camp and, but, you know what? It was like, fine. Like we go to Belleville. I'm living in Nick Cousins house there, which was awesome. And I had a really good setup. Troy Mann, awesome coach there. Great goalie coach, Corey Kirk Cooper. And, and that was a big reason. I trusted the goalie coach in, in Ottawa, Pierre grew. I'd had mm. him previously. I love the guy. He's a fantastic goalie coach. He's not there any longer uh, because people tend to blame goalies when your team sucks and it's not constructed well. So you, then mm. you blame the goalies and you blame the goalie coach. And so it's what happened to Pierre there. It's but hockey's a, a fickle mistress. Let's it say is, that. man. And yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite shows, Metalocalypse. Hockey is Am's fickle's mistress. They had a Finnish guy that used to say that all the time. Um, but so I go to Belleville, and it's great. It's like play a couple games, playing pretty well. And then Mike Condon allows a field goal, and I get called up. And mm-hmm. they just like buried Condon. Now, Condon had, had injury issues at that point. Yes. So he was legitimately hurt and he's trying to play through it and they just buried him. That was it. I get called up and it's like, wow, okay, I'm going up. And I ended up there from Halloween until January 2nd, mm-hmm. which was awesome to be in the NHL. And I felt like I belong. I started to actually play decent, you know, like if you look at my numbers, they really were almost close to Craig Anderson's on a really bad team. So they weren't great, but I mean, where I was, it was like, okay, I'm kind of like treading water here and had a couple of good games towards the end of it. And the problem though, is that I, I got to see my family like twice. Mm -hmm. Like I had to drive to Belleville in the middle of snowstorms, three hours each way to see them. And that was to see them for like five hours on a weekday. And so my wife's in Canada by herself with a a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a dog and by the way, the dog went diabetic midway through the year. Oh, uh, are you kidding me, man? Like, oh, dude, this this season, you're going to get the full story here, brother. Oh, I, you I love asked, it. That's, so, what I'm, that's what I'm hoping yeah, I mean, for. So, um, so, yeah, like I don't see him at all. And 26 days into the CBA, the team's supposed to give you a letter that says either you are remaining in a hotel or you get your own housing. Mm-hmm. It's in the CBA. Yes. That didn't happen. Oh, Okay. And so you know, I told the NHLPA, hey, this happened, you know, and they're like, well, what do you want us to do about it? I was like, uh, notify them, you know, and, and I look at it, but I look at the CBA, there's no teeth to it. There's no ramifications. It's like you have a useless provision in a CBA who wrote this thing. Um, and this is me just coming from the minor league level doing CBAs. Okay. These are the things I look out for. And so the NHLPA didn't do anything and Ottawa just whatever. And so then you get to 52 days and it's supposed to give you another letter that says, hey, Either you're staying or you can move in. But at that point, you can move in on your own at 52 days or 56 days, sorry. And you can give them the bill for your housing. Well, I got pretty close to that stage because that that was in like December. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen my family for two days at Christmas and my my wife and kids and dog move into the hotel. The team got me a a 
a big hotel room for my family to come stay with me over okay. holiday break. Well, they show up. And so Ottawa blew the CBA twice. NHLPA did nothing. Their, their words to me were literally, what do you want us to do? I was like, I want you to reprimand them. <laughs> and this is advocate for me. <laughs> yeah. And this wasn't even while I was like playing for them. Okay. So I yeah. didn't, I, I didn't contact the PA until after I was done with all this. Cause I was mad about it. And so my family moves in the second day, they literally move in the day before I go to morning skate the next day for the sense. I take the morning skate and I'm eating lunch and I get called in. My goalie coach comes and grabs me and pulls me in to the assistant general manager's office. And who even was the assistant GM at that time? Didn't they like, they, um, they don't have Peter McTab- Peter McTavish. He'd been hired like a month before I'd had one yeah. conversation with him. Terrific. And so it's in, it's in Ottawa. The whole front office is there. The whole coaching staff's there, everything. I get pulled mm-hmm. in to talk to the assistant GM and he goes, Hey, um, we just, uh, we wanted to let you know that uh, we've traded you to Vancouver and we're playing them that night, by the way, oh, they're across yeah. the hall. We're yeah. playing them that night. And I went, excuse me. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't, we didn't know how you'd take it. I go, how I take it. Like, what do you expect? You guys just, you guys just ruined my family, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I don't mean, I don't, I don't, I don't. Listen, I understand people have way worse things going on. Okay. Like, I, I don't mean, but in the moment I was like, dude, I, I straight up looked at the guy. I'm like, I go, Peter, this is absolutely not what we discussed this summer whatsoever. My family's yeah. just moved into the hotel and I haven't seen him in two something months. You thought I was going to be okay with this? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's a business. And I remember thinking like, man, I've been in this game a long time. You don't have to tell me it's a business. And it was the one time in my life I ever really told a management member how I really felt. And you did. You know? And I did. And there's no response. Anything else from that conversation you can share publicly? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, yeah. you, I mean, all I had to say is like, this stuff gets around, man. Like, I know everybody in this game, which is yeah. true. Six Degrees of Mike McKenna. I call my podcast that for a reason. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, for once in my life, I kind of just went, I don't care anymore. Because I knew I was retiring at the end of the year anyway. That's the thing. This was supposed yeah. to be like a, a victory lap, right? Exactly. And my daughter, and my daughter's in school in Canada, by the way. That was a big step, step for us to go to Canada. Mm-hmm. When I've been in America my whole life. And not that it was bad. It was just not it's easy. It's a big step. You're changing. It like, it, it's huge. And so I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, where am I going? Like, And then Vancouver's like, okay, well, we're bringing you in and uh, we're going to send you to Utica. So the plan was for me to get, the plan was for me to essentially make room for Thatcher Demko. Okay. Which I understood. Okay. I got that portion of it. And once I got started to wrap my head around going to Utica, I was okay because I knew Robert Esch. I knew they treat everybody really well. I was close to my in-laws. I thought, okay, this, this is going to eventually be okay. Eventually. It's going to be awful to move everything because that's the bane of my existence. That's mm-hmm. why I didn't ever, that's why I quit playing is because I didn't want to move again. Like putting everything in a U-Haul and going twice a year took a month off my life every year. It felt like. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, I get dealt though, but the best part is I get, I'm on like national TV in Canada, carrying my trash bag of possessions down the hallway to the, to the <laughs> Vancouver locker room. <laughs> so here I come walking in and, and they gave me 56, my number. So I've got hey, 56. There you go number. I'm like, this is amazing. Right. Well, I back up Markstrom in Ottawa that night. Pedersen has a hat trick. We win. I've never been so excited to win in my life. Like I'm selling on the ice, oh, yeah. like crazy, got the hat on, you know, and then we go to Montreal and I back up in Montreal the next night. Uh, and then we hop on a plane to Toronto and I get claimed off and I'm in Philly. So I went like for like four cities in like three days and three teams in three and a half days. And the whole time, all I'm thinking is like, I literally don't know when I'm going to see my family again. Yeah. I don't know at that point. You know, I really don't know. I've just claimed off waivers. I'm going to Philadelphia now. And my family was stuck in Belleville for four months. My wife's never done it on her own before. Like dog goes diabetic in the middle of all this. And I'm telling you, man, it was just like the worst year. And I and the ironic part is I was making, I was in the NHL for longer than I'd ever been in my career. Yeah. And, 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 Damn it! I deserve to be there. Like my, well, you saw me play in that call, in that Calder Cup final. Yeah, okay, dude, like you're I'm, a good goal. I'm comfortable. <laughs> I'm comfortable at this point saying like I actually deserve to be there. For it felt like you know for once, and especially in Ottawa, absolutely. Like like yeah. not not even a question. So I just I was just like man, like what is going on here? And honestly, if I hadn't been being paid as much as I was, I probably would have quit. Like I yeah. just, but I also 
I don't know, man, when you sign a contract, you feel like you have a sense of duty to it. And I felt mm-hmm. like I had to see it through and I didn't want it to end miserable. I wanted my daughters to at least be able to come and join me wherever that was going to be. Cause I didn't know where it was going to go. So yeah. um, it was wild. Uh, my white Jersey for Vancouver, if anybody's listening, I believe there's a Jersey collector in Vancouver that has it, who I've sent several Facebook messages to very kind that I really, really would like to have that Jersey for my collection because it represents a very strange part of my life. I will pay whatever for it, but I haven't received a response. So um, please, if you're listening and you have my white Vancouver Jersey, these jerseys are for my kids someday for them to have. I Mm -hmm. would really like it. Um, But it was crazy because I was also a hot commodity. I got claimed by Philly. Yeah, but, you. but Toronto, but Toronto put a claim in on me too. So I was nearly, but Philly was worse. So, <laughs> so I ended up in Philadelphia, you know, I played a game for them, got shelled by the caps, ended up in Lehigh Valley and we got the band back together. My whole family moved down mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of March after four months away. And the dog went ketoacidosis on us between Belleville and Lehigh nearly died about $6,000 worth of treatment later to pump them flu- full of fluids uh, we got back in a place there. My daughter went to three kindergartens in one year. Oh and I said, that's enough for me. I've had enough of hockey. My, I was right. This is my last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a great, like, kind of go, like last game. I remember, I think you, did oh, you yeah. write a Players Tribune thing about that? Or I, I remember there was a lengthy. I just wrote it on my own. Yeah. Um, you wrote a, you wrote a lengthy thing that I, I it always sticks in my mind, but that, yeah. that was really nice. The, the stuff that they, I guess the stops they've kind of pulled out for you in, in that. Yeah. And, and I'm, I know we're monopolizing a lot of time with just like oh, dude, one year it, and weird things, but like, I, that's what um, I love about it, man. Let's go. I, so first off, Philly treated me amazing. Fantastic. Like amazing. Yeah. You know, I showed up and there were two jerseys waiting for my daughters. I oh, mean, wow. I had to buy my jerseys in Ottawa for my kids. You know what I mean? Like a couple of replica jerseys for the kids and like replicas. The, yeah. Well, that's normal for kids. Jerseys. You're not going to be wearing the big dog. No. Ones, yeah. But I know? mean, like so, they didn't even give so, you years. Oh no. So, and that's not entirely strange. It happens, but it's ridiculous though. You know, I show up in Philly and they're waiting for my kids. Cause Chuck Fletcher knew I'd just been through a bunch of shit, basically. And yeah. I'm just really forever thankful to Chuck for, like, honestly, that I walked to my stall and started crying that day. Like I'm, I'm an emotional person. I get it. But it just, at that stage of my life, we're just, I, and, and I'm trying to perform my best. I'm trying to play in the NHL. Yeah. And I'm just absolutely in the mental soup because I'm just miserable. You know, that made a big difference. And so going to Lehigh. I played a few games for him. Actually, I played some good. I beat the Marlies yes, that year, did. which was like a huge win for me. Like, I don't think the guys on my team realized how cathartic that was <laughs> to win a game against the Marlies the next year. So that was like the first feather in my cap to finish my career. Yeah. Um, but the last game, I remember a couple of weeks before I told our coach there, Kerry Huffman, I said, Hey, I'm, this is going to be it for me. Like I'm 99% sure. And my parents would like to come in whenever this is going to be. And they were going to fly in and see my last game. I told him, just let me know where it's going to be. I thought it was going to be on the road for sure, because Alex Lyon had played the majority of games for Lehigh Valley. He was Mm -hmm. their guy. Like your guy plays the last game at home, you know? Well, Alex and Kerry Huffman and the coaching staff talked and they gave me the last start of the year at home in Lehigh Valley. And those fans have been super cool to me and they'd seen me for a long time in the league. So I think Mm -hmm. they kind of, you know, they kind of knew like my track record and, but my parents fly in, my kids are there, my wife's there. And man, I just, I remember skating out and trying to like, just soak it in and think like, Hey, this is it. Like, just enjoy this, have fun, whatever happens. And I told Carrie Huffman, our head coach, I said, you have one rule. You are not allowed to pull me in this game. Yes. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if I've allowed nine in the first, I'm not coming out of this game. You'll have to hit me over the head and not draw, drag me out of there to get me out. And um, so we go and I think I allowed two in the first and I was like, oh. Man, and they weren't like bad goals, but it's like mm-hmm. we're down to nothing. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. Just enjoy it. And uh, I get out for the second period, and well, we scored one late in the game. Colin McDonald, who recently retired, okay, another old guy, relic in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, he scores. And I remember thinking, like, this gives this gives us a little bit of life here, you know, maybe something could happen. And we scored right away in the third, it was tied two to two. And that, at that point I was, we are not losing this game. I am not losing this game. It just flipped. Like I had that feeling, you know, and we ended up going to overtime. I remember skating out for OT 
And my mom was, you go to the far end for OT switch ends. And my mom was over my shoulder to the right when I was skating out. And I look up and she's like, she's standing, you know? And like, yeah, I can, I get emotional telling the story, man. It's like, this has been my number one fan, like forever, man. Like, yeah. and I make eye contact with my mom and there's a picture of it. And I've got the picture where I don't even think the photographer knew it, but I'm, I've never in my life felt more content on the ice ever. Like it was the most calm moment that whatever happened from there, it's like, it's good. Everything's fine. Like I'm totally content with this. This is amazing that they're there for all of it. And uh, yeah, OT happens. And I like, I made like five or six saves in OT. And like, at one point a rebound was like, top circle and i like went racing out to clear the zone like i was not in the right frame of mind dude like i, I was <laughs> like if i'd screwed that up and that's the way my career ended oh ball of glory you know flaming ball of glory and um but we get through a team go to shootout and i stopped all three oh yeah i mean stopped them saved them they didn't miss the net like no you it hit you and it didn't yeah <laughs> and that last save like just Gilmore from the Hartford Wolfpack, just feeling that hit my chest and seeing it there and just like, kind of like almost collapsing. Like it was almost too much in the moment. Like, and all these things converged at once. The referee of the game was Dan Kelly, who was a rookie in Albany with me as a teammate, as a defenseman. And yeah. And the first person to come over and congratulate me is Greg Carey, who we were teammates in Portland, but he also went to St. Lawrence where I went to school and he's the first one there. And like, all these things, man. And so I'm first star of the game, I the interview, and just I look up, I see my daughter holding her stuffed animal that she always did. And there's some pictures of me out there that are pretty, you know, I'm 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 emotional. And yeah. I I really don't think, aside from winning like a Stanley Cup or a championship anywhere, that was the best ending I could have ever had, ever. I mean, I, I went out in my eyes, I went out a winner. Yes, you um, did. But I did it in the same way I started my pro career in a shootout, um, stopped all three. I made the last save of my last game that I ever played. And my family was there. My parents, like my longtime goalie coach, by the way, who I met when I was in 2002, Chris Economo. I was sent to him by Mitch Korn because I couldn't skate. <laughs> Econ's there. Wow. I mean, it, it was a lot, man. It was pretty pretty unbelievable took pictures after the game all that shit. my dad was in the locker room for the speech afterwards <laughs> yeah so that was uh for as shitty as that year was in so many ways uh the way it ended and with that organization I, again i'm just i'm super glad that that's where it ended because that felt like the right way to go out i mean yeah to think of how that year went uh you know all the up you know the upheaval of your family and you know like like you said, your wife had never kind of done it on her own before, but you mentioned like the three kindergartens, like for your, like that, that takes a toll on a family that takes a toll on a kid. And it's just, that that's remarkable. Um, every single person I ever talked to uh, who who's played before, they always have ECHL stories because ECHL oh. is kind of like, it's the wild <laughs> west, you know, like it is. And you've, you've spent some time there and it's, it, it's, yeah. you know, from it, it, do do you have any of those ECHL stories? Like, what's the what's the one that comes to your mind when someone asks you about this? Because I oh, feel man, like I, there's there's some crazy stuff. I played in the Cheezer for two years. The Cheezer, uh, it's, it's known as the Cheezer because of the apparently one place had like this garlic cheese bread. It was part of the spread at one of the cities, and somehow that turns into the Cheezer, like the gar the cheese toast league. I've heard that before. Incredible. Wait, the cheese who, toast league to the what Cheezer. team has the we best no spread. In the coast? No, it, I don't know. Where's, it, the nearest like, where's the nearest Chipotle? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like anywhere. Like what team? Like because I, you know, you, I, I've walked by countless of them. You know, in the bowels of the arena. Which one has got the best spread? I feel like it's an underrated spot. I feel like I feel like I'm far enough removed at this point that I can hardly even remember. You know, the American League was always different afterwards, but you had to pay for it yourself. What? Um, but well, you you got per diem, so yeah, you had, but you true, would have yeah, to yeah. like pay in to do it um man I, I know there's places we look forward to but i can't remember but like the echl okay. was yes, just echl yeah yeah man we had some crazy stuff happen in the echl i mean just you know we 
I played in Las Vegas for two years. Yeah. Las Vegas Wranglers. I'm making 450, 500 bucks a week plus, and, and you get housing and, and healthcare with that. But dude, if you wanted tickets to see Cirque du Soleil, you put in the request a week or two in advance, you had six tickets, eight rows up. Or what? if you want to go to Blue Man, we were friends with the Blue Men. You want to go see a Blue Man show? You put your request in, you go see the Blue Men. Like, yeah, is it, it is it the same Blue Men every night or do they switch no, up the Blue Men? There's there's a large roster of Blue Men. I'm actually friends with a Blue Man who was from my hometown in St. Louis. Um, his name's Mark, actually. Uh, I won't disclose his last name. Um, you but, shattered my world, man. Yeah. So like we were friends and we were on the, we had a guy that showed up. Jason Chrischuk, and he greased every bouncer in town with tickets to our game, mm-hmm. a double A level hockey game. Well, it got us on the list because usually you'd have to show up with like a thousand chicks if you wanted to get into one of those clubs, like the most absolutely the most misogynistic places on on earth. Yes. Our yes. clubs in Vegas. Like, <laughs> oh, you a guy. Oh, do you have six girls with you? Come on in, you know. And so like, here we come rolling deep with like a dozen dudes with like three girlfriends and we were on the list because Jason greased them. So um, that was always one thing, but I think the big, the funniest thing we had is like, we were really good in Vegas at home. Can you imagine why? Oh, can't imagine. A big reason for it was back then tickets used to have, I mean, you actually used to get a ticket. It's not mobile back then. And the tickets on the backside of them, the, all the unsold tickets to a game had a free drink coupon at the Mardi Gras bar in the Orleans where we played. And so our mascot, the Duke, who, by the way, the Duke took his job very seriously, he took dancing lessons, became a seamstress so he could make his own clothes. Like the Duke was awesome. He also worked at Lowe's, but he would take this stack of unused tickets and he'd put them in the visitor's training room and he'd take the other half of the stack and give them to us. Yep. So the other team would go and get blistered the moment they showed up and we'd kill them the next night or even that night. And then we would go and drink for basically free at the Mardi Gras bar. And the way it worked is we knew all the waiters and waitresses and and bartenders there. And we'd show up, you'd tip them 20 bucks at the start of the night or whatever. And you'd just keep plunking down these tickets. (laughs) And, and dude, we'd get like, we'd get greased there and hop a cab to whatever club and drink like, and have like one drink. Cause they were 15, you know, 12, 15 bucks back then and just nurse it all night long. Oh my God. And so like that, that was my, Kind of my favorite story of Vegas to tell because we had we had so many things happen, but that was that was about as Vegas as it got, and we really took advantage of it. You can definitely tell because I'm looking at I got your hockey DB up here right now, and it goes 2005 2006 Las Vegas Wranglers 9.23 save percentage. Next year another 38 games 9.27. I mean, you were yeah. that was that was some uh, that was some quality goaltending right there. Yeah, and you know the team was good. Yeah. Um, but I was also my own goalie coach and I did everything my own. So um, you did it I yourself. Make, I never had a goalie coach in season until probably I was 31 with the Portland Pirates with Alfie Michaud in 2014, 15. Never had a full-time goalie coach. So nice. I did it all myself. Yeah. You're self-taught. Look at you. That's I ran like goalie camps. I ran goalie camps at home. I paid attention to NHL goalies. I worked closely with Mitch Korn going on the road and mm-hmm. helping with him and stuff. And I applied it to myself. I had to. I had to, and that's why I was good at that level. And, you know, I always wonder if, if I, if we'd been better at St. Lawrence, where if I'd had a better chance, we weren't any good, honestly. And, you know, Nashville, I was a draft pick of theirs in 2002. They decided to sign um, some guy named Pekka Rene instead of me. And that worked out pretty well for them. I mean, that's (laughs) one of the biggest mistakes in franchise history. Like, come on, Pekka (laughs) Rene. Yeah, but I but I look back at that and I always think like, you know, they really didn't have any money at the time. And it was mm-hmm. coming out of the 2005 lockout. And I think in today's today's day and age, I probably would have been signed either to an NHL deal or maybe an American League two-way or something, at least started in their organization. Mm-hmm. And I really think that would have given my career a different trajectory. Because I'm like, I believe in myself enough and what I accomplished over all those years, basically coaching myself to think that if I'd actually had some juice behind me and some instruction when I was younger that it would have been more, but mm. man, look around me. I can't, I can't, my, my career was gravy, man. I can't believe it happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I realize we've ripped through 40 minutes here. So I'm going to do a couple rapid fires before I let you get on with, with your Keep day going. Let's go. Oh I'm yeah. So, I'm having fun. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm so glad to hear that, Mike. Although I will say, so we had, we had Mike Johnson on, on, on the podcast a little while ago. And I was, I was, I, I had somewhat of a grudge because he made me the second most handsome Mike on my own podcast. 
it is ridiculous. And now here we are and you've done it to me again. So I just want to say, you know, friend of the show, we'll see. Maybe, maybe friend me of the show because you're, you're showing me up. Come on, man. This is ridiculous. Well, my teammates call me, teammates call me a lot of different nicknames. Very yep. few of them are Mike. It was usually, it started off as Mac and then it yep. went to Kenny. Then it went to Rattlesnake to Snake. I Rattlesnake, a lot of eh? nicknames. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that's another long story. Okay. Um, <laughs> I had, well, I, it's a good thing. It's a podcast and we hate long stories on podcasts. So definitely I'll give you the, it. I'll give you the, the abridged version of it. Um, I like snakes. Okay. I don't sweet. own snakes. I don't own snakes. I don't want to handle snakes. Mm-hmm. I just think they're cool. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> Some people like weird shit in life and I think they're cool. I have a paper I wrote. Right. <laughs> but that, but that, I think that's, yeah, I think goalies kind of fall into that. I think you fall into the trap of expecting that you have to be weird. Okay. And I think yeah. we're really just creative. A lot of us. I mean, that we want to design goalie gear and masks. Like we're the mm. art kids of the hockey world. But anyway, I like snakes. I wrote every paper as a kid on snakes or tornadoes. Don't know why. Um, I mean, even in the summertime, I've got in the spring, I'll go out and look for snakes. Like <laughs> I found my first rattlesnake in the wild this summer. It was really cool. But we show up in San Antonio and I'm playing for the Peoria Riverman 2012 or 13. I remember telling my wife, like, if there's a rattlesnake coffee mug, I'm going to buy it. Totally as a joke. And I had no idea that Craig Ferguson had one on his desk, who was a host of late night in the US. Well, I'm walking down the street in San Antonio and there's a rattlesnake mug sitting right there. And I'm like, done, bought it, mm-hmm. named it Henry. And it was in my stall till the day I retired. It was always in my locker room stall. That's what I drank coffee out of in the locker room. And when I was playing in Springfield, Mass, that's when it turned into being called snake or rattlesnake and kind of went wild. I got it printed on my pads once just for the fun of it. And uh, so that's that's where that one came from. And my, my mug, Henry, I still have him. Um, and I wanted to have him on the desk with me in Vegas. And when I was doing TV broadcasting mm-hmm. and... Um, he was taken off the desk the first day uh, ah. by my co-host. So I realized, I guess in uh, super buttoned up hockey culture and hockey guy, that wasn't going to happen. And he was too much fun. So I let yeah. that slide. And we'd hate to have fun when it comes to talking about hockey. That would be the worst. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, well, there's, there's a big difference between festive and foolish when it comes to being on air. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. All right. Before we let you go, a couple quick uh, uh, sort of running through it. Um, what's the biggest misconception about goaltenders? Like, what's the thing that you see on Twitter, fans talking about goaltenders, whether it's a criticism, whether it's a praise, something like that. And you go like, these guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, he's going to want that one back. That's the clearest one. I mean, that yeah. phrase itself, we want every goal back. Come on. <laughs> um, that, But that's like a buzzword. I think the biggest thing that people don't don't get is that when pucks get deflected, all bets are off. Yeah. And people will see him get deflected like top of the circle and maybe the shot's not even going that hard, but you you really cannot tell somebody that hasn't played how difficult it is to adjust in time because you read the puck off the blade. Mm-hmm. You don't read it off the deflection from that far out. When a puck gets deflected right in front of you, at least you know the destination for it. You can read that the tip is going to happen there. Yeah. When something crazy happens, when it goes off a D stick or a foot or a body, and it only changes six or 12 inches, goalies get buried on those all the time. And, and even people, and I hear it all the time and, you know, in color commentating, which I did myself, like I, I get it. It's hard to do in real time, but the default is to just say, well, the goalie should have had that. And no, that you don't understand that that's not something you have time to adjust for. You just simply don't. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's a big one that people will never understand. Um, I think the other thing is just the whole, like, oh, he really settled in thing. Like, (laughs) and then shutout thing. Like both of those, you know why he really settled in? Well, because most games don't end 10 to eight. If you allow two goals early, it's not like it just keeps going on this plane where they're going to keep scoring and scoring and scoring. It's the same way as like, people think you're going to jinx a goalie by saying shutout shutouts don't end because somebody said a word shutouts end because most games don't end shutouts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why man it has nothing to do with a jinx or a superstition. So um, those are the big, the deflection one really for me is like, yeah. it drives you crazy because coaches insane and coaches will do it too. coach. Well, we needed a save. Like you'll hear this from coaches all the time. And this is why I've been hesitant to take any like goalie coaching jobs because yeah, I would fight that battle till I got fired and for my goalies that 
you know, when a coach doesn't know what to say and they just want to blame the goalie, the line is inevitably, well, he needed a save there. Yeah. How did you want him to make that save? Well, he just needed <laughs> Slow down time. Like exactly. what are you supposed to do? Right. Yeah. So, you know, the goalie union is a very, we're in a grief society in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unique and it's, is kind of us against the world at times, but I think, I think also it's, it's problematic that a lot of people perpetuate the fact that we're just these weirdo weirdos who just don't talk to anybody and disappear on a game day. And I think that's really bad for youth hockey goaltenders to, to receive that, um, that like knowledge, like, like yeah. this is what is this expected because like goalies are teammates. They need to talk to their teammates. They need to go to the bench. They need to be interactive with them and know what's going on, not be on an Island. You're, you're yeah. losing out on information that can help you if you don't talk to your teammates during a game. But again, it's just, it cycles that this is the expectation that like, Oh, goalies need to be laser focused and they need to show up at the rink eight hours. They should be thinking about the game the day before. And, they, and no, did you ever watch Marty Brodeur? Yeah. Like, dude, that guy smile on his face, joking around with the refs moment. The puck drops dead serious as he should be the moment. The whistle blows right back at it. He could flip the switch better than anybody I ever saw. And I really, I took that to heart when I played. You guys are like the drummer in a band, you know, you, you have a perspective in the game that literally no one else on the ice does. And you're able to watch it unfold differently. And you like, as much as goaltenders are kind of, this season has been real tough for the goaltenders as the third defenseman argument. I mean, we've, we've seen a couple bloopers, but you, you really do have a, have a unique sort of vantage point to watch the play unfold. So it's important to talk about that, I guess. It is. And I think it's important for goalies to realize that, Hey, like you do see everything in front of you and you can help your teammates. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have an aspect of vision that coaches don't see from the sideboards. And that's where, for me, I, I think one of the reasons why teams I was on tended to be good at penalty killing was because I took a lot of pride in it myself, but I also would go to the bench and talk to my guys, like telling my D what's going on, what I'm seeing, like, Hey, next time out, we've got to be ready to do this. And like, we had that communication, you know, Mm -hmm. like I had, I had one, one player I played with for four seasons, Brent Regner, we signed three contracts in three cities, unbeknownst to each other three times. And one of my best friends in the game, and I tell you what, if I wanted to kill penalties with anybody in the world, it was mm-hmm. Brent because we were just like, we were, we had synergy, man. We just knew what we were going to do. It was like, it was like Kate and Taves or any other combination you can think of. That's the way we were killing penalties. Oh, fantastic. And, and, and that's why goalies become good analysts because true. Again, yeah. everything's in front of you. You see play develop, you see it coming at you. It's true. And I guess in that line, in that vein of misunderstood, like who's a goal, who is a, a either active or recently um, former goaltender who you think has gotten a bad rap, who, who, from your idea, you're like, who, who's just being crapped on for no reason whatsoever, because you talk about, you know, you need to save this, that, the other. And I feel like that can bury some goalies. Who's one who's mm-hmm. just be, being given the real short end of the stick when they don't really deserve it. Well, I think too harassed by a lot of fans in, Bo- oh, in Boston, yeah. honestly, like ridiculous, unless your name's Tim Thomas, they hate you in Boston. And Tuka Rass has been, I mean, his career save percentage is Dominic Hashik and Ken Dryden. Oh, it's tied it's, with them. He's like 922. Yeah, 922. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Like tied with Dryden and Hashik. Like you couldn't have asked more from that guy. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that comes to mind immediately um, as just nothing was ever good enough there and nothing was ever going to be good enough unless you won a Stanley Cup. And yeah, I think it's the same way in Toronto for whoever plays there. You're just, you're never good enough there ever. And that's a hard bill to live up to. Like I, without having the full list of goalies in front of me of the whole league, it just, you find a lot of guys that have been mired in the muck on bad teams that people don't understand how good they are, you know, and then you get some other goalies that are still just living on past success mm-hmm. in terms of how they're perceived. That's yeah. real. There are a lot of that. Yeah. Because the game has really progressed in the last four to five years from goaltending perspective. Oh, for and sure. Some of those goalies from three or four years ago that were really sick goalies, they haven't progressed. Yet there's still Does like, one come to mind. Well, I mean, I'll be honest because you know why? I wish I could goalie coach him. I wish they could listen mm-hmm. to me. Like I wish I could help that. Like I watched John Gibson. And it's like, man, you have the some of the best reflexes in the game. You read the play insanely well, but you play so far out of the paint. You have so much flow. You're very rarely you spread. Like I, I just see things about his game that are not modernized at the same speed.
speed as everybody else's. He's been outplayed by Anthony Stolarz, even though he's got the big contract and he's going to keep playing games. Yet you ask any GM around the league and they still think like John Gibson, unbelievable goalie. Mm -hmm. And like the advanced numbers do not back that up whatsoever. And even the regular metrics are like really pedestrian. And, And I'm, dude, he's a thousand times better goalie than I ever was. And I still think he could be even better, but I just haven't seen growth or growth to his game, you know? So again, I think you're kind of, your reputation reputation as a goalie can really precede you. There's a lot of people who would love to have Jonathan Quick the same way. And Quick has not adapted to the modern game either. So there's two examples of guys that, and I love those goalies, dude. Like I, goalie union to a T, I'd love to accomplish what they have. They are unreal, but I see things that they can improve on. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess in the other vein, we'll we'll end it on this one because you know I really appreciate all the time you give me here. Um, who's the best goaltender? Who like you look at this because you talk about the goalies who maybe haven't progressed to, who's they have great you know like reflexes and whatnot, but they haven't sort of you know moved with the times. Who's the goalie that you look at and you go like that guy's technique, like technically speaking, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, like just a just a joy to, like goalie porn, like just a joy to watch. Yeah, well, it's whoever's playing goalie for either Ian Clark, the goalie coach of the Vancouver Canucks, yeah. or Mitch Korn with the, with the New York Islanders. Like, yeah. the, it, it's amazing how much goaltending goal coaching makes a difference. Like the swamis of the world that are just, they're the best. Like I watched Demko where he's come from. I watched him come into the league and the American League and see him struggle. His yeah. first year was a struggle. And Roly Melanson out there teaching him old ways that just weren't up at the time, straight up, man. But Roly was a legend. So who are you going to question? And his game took off the moment Clark showed up. And he fought for him to stay there too, for a reason. Yes. And, and I had Ian in my career. I had Mitch Korn. I had Francois Waller. I had all the big dogs in goalie yeah. coaching. And I can tell you that it makes a massive difference. And I think that, Demko is one. Um, to me, Vasilevsky is is kind of in a different world because he's so mentally creative on top of his physical attributes. Mm-hmm. Strong technical goalie, but he just is he's a freak, dude, in a lot of ways. Okay. I don't think if you're looking to replicate things, it's hard to do that with him. Um, but I, I think really when you're looking, if you were a young goalie trying to emulate somebody, Igor Shishjurkin or oh, Demko yeah. to me are those are your two guys. And even UC Soros, man, like that guy is as rock solid of a technical goalie as you can get. And no wonder if you're 5'11, you have to be to be successful in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So, and no surprise, I think Soros and Shashurkin are probably top two in Vezina right now for me. Like, I, Shashurkin's been the best goalie in the NHL, but Soros has played more, yes. and won more. And that's the only defining factor for me. By the end of the year, I'm, I don't know, coin flip. Um, so I, I think Shesterkin's really the top of the field when it comes to that type of style. But there's a lot now. The level of parity in the NHL with goaltenders is is through the roof, and that's why you see so many tandems. Like you see a lot of goalies playing because there are that many quality netminders in the league now. Would you like? I guess would you say because you say there's just so much, so many quality netminders. The the I guess sort of the market is flooded with, with I, at least guys who are, who could be capable like twos or one B's. Is there an excuse for a team to not have at least one, you know, quality starting goaltender at this point? Well, the, the only excuse you have to not have a starting quality goaltender is if you do not have a scouting department that's yes. built up to draft you who you need. And I'll give you a great example. The Edmonton Oilers. Oh yeah. Edmonton since 2005. Devin Dubnik mm-hmm. was drafted in the first round. Gone. Devin Dubnik is the last goaltender of substance in the Edmonton Oilers organization to play NHL games that they developed from within as a draft pick. Mm-hmm. 2005. And they ruined him like they ruined Jeff Delorier. Like they do, they ran through goalies like nobody's business back then. And the only goalie to play significant NHL minutes since is Stuart Skinner. Yeah. who I think has an NHL career ahead of him. I don't know for sure. I would think so. But you want to talk about a team that's had goalie problems forever and has never fixed it because they've either, and some of those years they didn't even draft a goalie. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't draft a goalie the last two years. 
despite the fact that what we're looking at right now, to me, that is an utterly incompetent way to build a franchise is to ignore goaltending because goaltenders are assets. Even if one of your guys ends up being a backup, it's a tradable asset. Mm-hmm. Look at the number of goalies from Nashville that have come through behind Pecorini that have gone to other places. There's been a lot, man. Like even we're even talking like going back to Dan Ellis and Carter Hutton and, and Soros. Like if you build a factory of goalies, LA's done the same thing. They had Martin Jones come through. They had Jonathan Bernier come through. They had Jack Campbell come through. They had Ben Scrivens come through. I mean, you see what I mean here? Yes. Like that hasn't happened in Edmonton at all. And that's how you build good goaltending. There's no excuse for it. Now you need to draft well and you need to value the position and you have to have development goalie coaching. Jack Campbell, he didn't develop it all in Dallas because they didn't give him coaching in the minors. They didn't give him what he needed to be successful. And Dallas has that now. They know what to do now. They did a great job with Jake Ottinger, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have that for Campbell. And I guess you look at like, this is a decision, I guess, that got Dave Tippett fired today. Like new, I guess, sort of a fresh news Um, going back to Mike Smith in a back-to-back game after he's been on the IR for a month. If you were put like, how would you have reacted if you were put in that position? Would you have even known like this is a little ridiculous? Because I know as a goalie, you want to like you you want to play as much as possible. You know, you you want to feel feel the ice. You want to get back in there. But like in the back of your mind, you not go like this is ridiculous. Like how would you have reacted to that? I guess. Well, two different things. Smitty's an ultimate competitor, man. Yes. I've been teammates with him twice. Nobody battles harder than that guy. Nobody wants it more than him. He wanted to be in that net. If he played, he wanted to be there. Well, yeah, I'm, 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 I don't think he got forced against his will. No, no. But I, I've always admired that about Smitty. And he's, man, he's had a great career. I think the, the injuries have just obviously made this season way harder than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Which isn't, the problem is that's not surprising for a 39-year-old who's had it before. Yeah. And that should have been foreseen coming into the season. But for myself... I wanted to play every game, man. If I got told to be out there, I was going for it. But there are moments you realize like this is kind of the shit sandwich game. <laughs> I might be, in, I might be in one, like in the back of the head, you're thinking, okay, yeah. I might be in one, but you don't expect that against the Chicago Blackhawks. No. And yet they got okay. pumped and then the coach is gone. Yeah. So listen, I've played three and two and a half before in the American league. I did it once while I had the flu and didn't eat for two days. And it was the best weekend of my life in hockey. I was AHL player of the week. And I didn't get off the locker room floor for two days during games. So talk about Michael Jordan's flu game. No, that's not the most important, impressive Michael flu game in professional sports. Well, dude, like you just don't think about playing. You just go play. Yeah. Like you don't overthink anything. You just can't wait to get it over with. So um, yeah, man, if I'm Mike Smith, I just, I'm doing what they tell me. And that's, and as a competitor, you want to be out there anyway, but it's always in the back of your head. You're knowing like, Back to back here. I don't know. Let's go. <laughs> Might need us. <laughs> all right, man. Well, Mike, you give me so much time. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I could pick your brain literally all day. Like it's it's oh, yeah. it's it's absolutely remarkable. You're doing incredible work over at Daily Faceoff. Love to love love to see all that you're doing. I hope you know maybe one day back you can come back on share, share more yeah. stories about the cheeser. Uh, I'd be happy to. About. There's no there's no shortage, and um, I was happy to come on, man. I know anybody that's ever worked with Rachel Dory, I'm happy to help out and come around. So we had fun working together at Daily Face Off, and now she's on to really <laughs> exciting things with the with the Vancouver Canucks. So I appreciate you having me on. <laughs>